Welcome to the Worthy Writer edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. Each month, we bring you an informative interview that helps you live your best life as an entrepreneur. Here on the Worthy Writer edition, we take a deeper dive into authorship topics through conversations with notable writers and quality industry professionals. And now, your host, Tanya Brockett. Welcome, worthy writers. Today, I am excited to introduce our guest for the next two worthy writer editions, Mark S.A. Smith. Mark has written 14 best-selling books, and he's now writing his 15th, entitled Wise Leadership Valor, How to Make More Million Dollar Deals, Kick Out the Pirates, and Completely Control Your Future. This new book is the very best of the success secrets he's discovered in delivering more than 2,000 speeches in 54 countries, reaching over 2 million people through his speeches, podcasts, and media appearances. Now his goal is to reach 10 million people so they can lead better, sell more, and be successful even when others say, that it's impossible. He is a business growth strategist who works with CEOs and their teams to plot the path to an unstoppable future. And now, my interview with Mark S.A. Smith. Welcome, Mark, and thank you so much for joining us at the Write Something Worthy podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to... to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I want to first congratulate you, though, before we get too deep, on having your podcast, The Selling Disruption Show, hit number nine on the best podcast and sales list for Zoom Info. How about that? Yeah, I'm proud of that. It's uh, It's been a labor of love, and I've had some fantastic guests. And, of course, that's what makes a podcast great, is smart guests sharing their very best secrets. But thank you. Thank you for the congratulations. It's so exciting. It also gives us neophyte podcasters hope that there's possibility of being noticed at some point in our future. Create value How long and is... get noticed. Ah, great. All right. I'll remember that. So how long has your show been on the air? Uh, uh, the show has, I'm, I'm at, uh, I believe, around 97 episodes, and it was it's weekly, although it has been on hiatus for a little while as I've been working on some new things. But uh, essentially, it's two years' worth of recording, weekly recordings. Yes, write something worthy as weekly as well. Yeah. So. It's a labor. You know, it's, it's devotion. It's, uh, you, you stick to it. It requires your energy. And done right, it, it changes the lives of the people that listen in. So I'm delighted to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. One thing that I... Uh, listened to on one of your podcasts. Just want to briefly jump on this before we move on. I really enjoyed the episode on intellectual property because I used to be one of the only non-attorney members of our local intellectual property law committee. And Mm. I've always enjoyed intellectual property. So I was wondering if you, you know, we think of I I literally have some authors come to me and say, can I trademark the title of my book? And 
typically the answer is uh, no. You're going to find a lot of titles reused in books, you know, over the course of history because you can't trademark that That's in right. general. So um, there, there is a twist just, to that, though. Ah, that, and that is, you can use you can use a trademarked statement as part of the title of your book, mm. but you cannot trademark the title of your book. Very good, good distinction. So, so can for you example, think of any if you examples? create a series, oh yeah, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> chicken Soup for the Soul is a trademarked word, but then it's Chicken Soup for the Nurse's Soul, for the Teen Soul, for the uh, the grifter's soul for the bank robber's soul for, <laughs> for the author's soul. Yes, yes, please. Well, the, yes, there soul. is one of those, right? So, Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield did indeed trademark the phrase "chicken soup for the soul," but there's only one book with that title itself. There's many other versions of that. So, there's an example of of how you could trademark a phrase, trademark a phrase, and then use that as a book title. Do you think they trademarked that in the beginning? Do you think they could have visualized or envisioned that they would need to do something like that? Um, actually, I've had conversations with Mark Victor Hansen. He's he's done endorsements for some of my books. He's quite a guy, quite, what a, quite a powerhouse. And mm-hmm. what they did was uh, they took alternative routes to distributing their books. You may want to invite him or Jack Canfield on this show. No doubt they'd be glad to contribute to the story is really worth telling. Fundamentally, what they decided to do was get these stories of hope and encouragement and, and inspiration into people's hands, yet inspirational books are a hard sell through bookstores. And of course, this, this was almost 30 years ago when they began this journey. And so what they did was what they called bypass marketing. And, and that is every time they got an airplane, they'd hand a copy to the flight attendants and said, here, why don't you leave this in the flight lounge? And every time that they went to... Uh, get a haircut they they left a copy with uh, with with their barber and and so every place that they'd go they'd go to coffee shops and say you want, you want half a dozen of these things for sale and you know we'll just put them here and if you sell them we'll come back and collect the money so they used a, a completely different approach and of course sold millions and millions and millions of them and then they decided they would expand the brand it just started off with let's make people's lives better with a story you can read in five minutes and and then it took off from there. Then they went into the full development where they co-authored with other people and established the brand. Quite a story. Yeah, that is true. And I remember uh, Jack Canfield telling a story of how they sent the Chicken Soup book to a high-visibility mm, high uh, juror's box. Uh, for a trial that was going on to give the jurors something positive to read yeah. while they were going through this whole big trial and how some jurors would have that book in the courtroom with them and it was seen yes. on national TV. So yes. that's the fun Brilliant. story. That's the kind of brilliance that uh, Mark Victor Hansen and, and Jack Canfield have. They're just master promoters. And that's what we have to do if we're going to sell a lot of books. We have to be master promoters. Indeed. And you have had uh, the opportunity to publish 
several books. In your bio, we talked about the fact that you've got 14 best-selling books already. You have another one coming out. You've gone both independent and traditional on publishing those. Do you have a preference of approach over that? I mean, do you prefer one approach over another? Well, it depends who you talk with and about whether, you know, do you want to be go to the traditional publisher or do you want to go self-publishing or do you want to go what the industry calls vanity publishing, which is where you hand your manuscript to other people and then they take care of the complete packaging of the book. And it, my preference is to do self-publishing. And the reason why is because I get to keep all the profits. It also means I have to do all the work, but it also means that I get to 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 keep all the profits and I can buy books at cost versus books at wholesale. Now I do have three books published by John Wiley and Sons out of New York. And those were very successful books. I, I wrote those with Jane Cotter and Levison of uh, guerrilla marketing fame in the nineties. And I still get checks from Wiley from the books that I wrote, you know, oh my gosh, 25 years ago. And so one one of the the nice things about that is that they have a fat back catalog. They like long tail products, and um, and it's nice to have a Wiley book. I, Wiley's a, is an excellent business publisher, but you know the the checks that I get are quite small. Uh, but you know it's it's all right. It, it keeps the the books alive. You can still go to Amazon and book a, and buy a book that I that I wrote you know, 25 years ago, 27 years ago. Uh, and I, there's no effort on my part. So there's that aspect of it. Although nobody says, hmm, I wonder what Wiley published this month that I should go read. So it's, there's, there is a certain level of, of endorsement because of the rigor of editorial that a traditional publisher uses. So you tend to get higher quality books from a, from a, a publisher versus independent publishers and self-publishers, the quality of the book can be disappointing. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and so if we're going to self-publish, so if we're going to self-publish, you've got to use the same quality of design, editing, both line editing as well as uh, concept editing as the, the uh, large publishers do because you can never take back the books that get into the hands of others. So while you may get better, your book won't. So it better be the best snapshot of who you are packaged in the best clothing that you can have available at the time. And that means that your kid doesn't design the cover. It means you use a professional designer who knows how to create covers. Never let a general artist create a cover because the cover sells the book. So why do we have a cover? So people pick it up. And what do you have exactly. on the? What, why do you have something on the back? Is so that it's, it causes them to open it up. And why do you have a table of contents so people say, "Ooh, I want to find out about that, 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 and that." And so there's this sequence of events, from the cover to the back, to the contents to the testimonials in the book that causes somebody to say, "Hmm, I think I'll get this." And most self-publishers don't understand that process. That is so true. There was a conference that I was in where I was just having a conversation with somebody, and they had a book on the table. It was their book. I picked it up. I looked at the front cover. I looked at the back cover. I flipped it open. I looked at the table of contents. Then I looked at the first page, and I put it down, and we had our conversation. 
And they they learn so much in that conversation because as a book coach, I get to share a lot of wisdom with my clients that helps them to understand some of that that you just said. One of the blog posts that I wrote was about the expensive real estate that is the back cover of your book. It is not the place to dump a big bio that, no. you know, you can find in the about author page or elsewhere, right? That is not the place for just a giant picture of you that says, oh, I'm so-and-so. No. That is where you sell that book and make people flip it open and say, yeah, okay, yes, I want what this promises. I want to get inside this book. There's only one time that your picture should be on your book cover, and that is if you are a celebrity. If you're not a bona fide celebrity where people recognize your picture, put your picture inside the book, not on the cover, because people don't care about who you are until they believe you have something to teach them that is valuable. So agree with you. So agree with that. Wow. So none of my there's no pictures on my covers. There's only testimonials and promises and and, and that's part of just part that's part of what we have to navigate as self-published authors. But I have to say self-publishing is great because if I buy if I want to distribute books uh from Wiley, I have to buy them at wholesale. Wholesale is half of list price versus when I publish my own, I buy them at cost. There's a big difference between cost and wholesale because the difference between cost and wholesale is the money that the publisher makes. Correct. Can you give an example? So you could get your book, uh, paperback, let's say, at maybe two dollars and thirty cents or two fifty to make it easy. Yeah, for short but, run. Yeah, and that's short run. That's you know that's buying less than a thousand copies. Right. So let's say that you want to get that same book from your publisher what would that yeah. two dollar fifty cent book cost you well given publisher? the fact that well let's see let's just use an example gorilla negotiating and that particular mm-hmm. book was i think one of the best books that we published in the gorilla series because what it does is it does it not only teaches how to negotiate it teaches you how to, uh, to have the antidote to the dirty tricks that buyers play on a salesperson when they're negotiating so we teach you how to retain more margin. It's not just about keeping a, making a, getting you a better deal. It's about helping you make more profit. And I've never seen any other book in negotiating that talks about how do you counter those negotiation strategies. So that book right now, I believe the cover price on it is essentially $30. So that book is 70,000 words. If I bought that book from on-demand printer, it would be, you're right, somewhere around uh, around two dollars and seventy cents a copy. That's two hundred seventy pages or so. And versus, if I bought it from Wiley, I'd be buying it fifteen dollars a copy. So there's a seven x difference between the Wiley copy and one that I could produce from, um, let's say, Spark Ingram Spark. And they come off the same freaking press. Wiley uses this uses <laughs> Spark to, to print their on-demand books. Right. They come right. from the same factory in Lebanon, Tennessee. <laughs> exactly. And you know, it's so interesting. I have uh, I have many authors that I've worked with over the years. And one of my authors has produced, I don't know, I'd say 60 or more books that he has out there. Woo! Sometimes he 
he will, oh yeah, prolific. Um, but he says, you know, one thing he says is that I didn't set out to write 60 books. I just wrote one book at a time. That's right. And that's how he just kept producing. So one of the things that he does is he will go to a traditional publisher sometimes for some of his books and then others he'll just do himself. And what you find is that you can make a lot more money and your time to market is so much faster when you can do it on your own. Oh, you have absolutely to wait true. for a publisher, right? Yeah, what is ab- the average time true. you had to wait for a book to come out from Wiley when you had to do that? Well, from execution of the contract and delivery of the advance check to when the books were available were about a year. Exactly. That's fast. Heck, sometimes it's 18 months before any of that yeah, happens. That's exactly right. And that, uh, well, yeah. And that's after you've gotten your agent to negotiate the deal in the first place. That's getting right. the that's, agents that's, can sometimes take you months and months. Well, it can. We, we were fortunate in the fact that Jay was a known publisher and Wiley would publish any book that had his name on it. <laughs> so I was writing in the coattails of Jay's experience, and and Michael Larson represented all of Jay's books, and so it was really ah, easy yeah. for us to move to a contract. And so you know, right. I was real. I was fortunate that I was able to connect with Jay and his team and produce three books with them because it really launched my career uh, and then allowed me to move very quickly. And, of course, the cool thing is after I did my third book, uh, the editor says, Mark, I'll publish anything you write. And (laughs) I never took him him up on it, but (laughs) Uh, I remember sitting at lunch in, in Manhattan, and and uh, and he he looked at me across the table and said, "What do you want to write next for me?" <laughs> That's a wonderful place to be. It is, That's but see, after you have a series, after, you know, after you have after you have you know, a series of books that are successful and make them money, they're willing to do that because they know that the process is going to go smoothly. We hit our deadlines. We hit all of our deadlines. You know, not only you have a manuscript deadline, but you have a you have a proof deadline, you have a galley deadline. There's a number of deadlines that exist as you produce with uh, traditional publishers. And I have to tell you, Tanya, the, the probably the biggest value I had publishing a New York book is I got deeply involved in the process, which when I started to self-publish, I used the same exact process. Mm. And yeah. so I think that's one of the reasons why the books I have produced are people can't tell that they don't they don't come from a traditional publisher because I'm I'm doing everything that the traditional publisher does and ends up with a great-looking book with a great-looking cover with a layout that's usable and no dense blocks of texts and minimal typos. Gosh, it's hard to get rid of typos. <laughs> <sighs> yes, as an editor, I, I know that. I am keenly aware. But, you know, one of the reasons that I have this podcast, Write Something Worthy, is exactly that. I want all of my authors to write something that is bestseller worthy, no matter how it's getting out to the market and no matter whether it hits a bestseller list at all. You want that quality. You want to represent yourself, your credibility, your brand, your image, and your legacy. You don't yes. want to put something out there that's not quality. Yes. So 
I really appreciate your sharing that. Well, thank you. Unfortunately, we can take a great message and we can cause people to ignore it because it's not packaged in a way that is aligned with their identity and aligned with what their expectations are of a great package. And so, well, you know, listener, you might think, oh, yeah, but it's a great book and it's a it's great story. Y- yeah, that's fine, but it better be dressed as a great book and it better be packaged as a great story or people won't even get it into their hands. That's absolutely right. There are some times, quite frankly, that I hear that something is supposed to be good and I will get my hands on it and looking at it just makes me... <laughs> Uh, cringeworthy. Oh my gosh, yes. And and it's really sad when somebody comes up to you and they're so excited, like at a conference, you know, and I am often one of few ghostwriters, editors, and, you know, authors that are at conferences, even when they are a whole bunch of authors in the room. There are not a lot of ghost editor authors out there at the same mm-hmm. time. And so they come up to me totally excited about their book and they want to show it to me. And I just, oh, I just ache when I see what they have produced because yeah. it looks like my, you know, eighth grade daughter's publishing project at school. And they don't follow industry standards about their front matter, their back matter. It's just, oh, and Yes. I just ache for people that go through that and don't know. You just don't know. When you're a first-time author, you have no reason to know the structure of a quality well, that, industry standard book. That's true, unless you've done some research like you know, buying a, you know, a self-publishing book from the Rosses or you know, classic Dan Pointer, God bless right. his soul. Dan, Dan Pointer taught me so much. His book is still one of the best, one of the best of the yeah. best. I and, agree. And Judith Bryles also has a great book on self-publishing. There's others out there that that are not quite the same level of quality, but those are three of three people that I know, and I've, I've been exposed to their work, and they've allowed me to polish my approach. But friend, you know, listener, you're writing a, a book. You're writing something that's worthy. You're putting hundreds, if not thousands, of hours and years, if not decades, of your life into your work. Don't go cheap. You've invested tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of your time in this. So so put the few thousand dollars uh, into this book that it deserves so you have a great cover and you have somebody who does layout design and makes it readable. And one of the things that I've discovered through time is is that the layout, internal layout of the book is critical to the user experience. A lot of self-publishing books have narrow margins, so you you can't hold it comfortably and read it well. Your hands are your fingers are covering up the words, and so you have to keep shuffling your hand around to read the book. And so over time, I've developed a an a, a internal design that I've used because my target audience is CEOs and business owners and business leaders. So I write CEO or executive targeted books. And the layout of these books is critical to having the executive read it. 
if they pick up a book and it's just a mass block of text, page after page after page, they put it down rapidly because CEOs are scanners. They don't mm-hmm. read sequentially. They scan and they go to the chapter that they believe will give them the information that they require or desire in this moment. And so my pages for executive books have lots of subheadings, lots of pull quotes. The, the, the paragraphs are short. And there's lots of checklists at the end of every chapter. There's questions. There's a summary of the chapter, questions to ask yourself, questions to ask your team, and action steps to put these ideas into play. And what I have found is that layout, just taking the the things I've written and putting it to a structure that my target audience can consume easily without friction, has all the difference it makes all the difference in the world has massive impact. That's tremendous. And you've got an example for that that we're going to have in our show notes. Your, yes, absolutely. Uh, you you can download book, right. A, yeah, you, you well you can download a copy of the last book that I wrote. Now, friends, it the, the title is awful because it doesn't mean anything to you. It meant something to the audience that I wrote it for. The title of the book is From MSP to BSP: How to Pivot to Profit from IT disruption. And in the world of of IT computers, MSP means managed service provider. And there's a lot of people out there that deliver that. They don't tell people they're MSPs, but that's how they refer to themselves. The BSP is a business service provider. And and so this was written specifically for people who sell IT and IT services. And I sold 7,500 copies of that book, which is a bestseller in that industry. And Uh, so, so the title sucks for the general public, but it was written specifically for me to get consulting work in that sector, in that part of the target market. And as far as that was concerned, it worked. <laughs> it's kept me employed for the past three years or so since, uh, since writing the manuscript, sharing the manuscript, talking with people about it and publishing it. So mission accomplished. You know, you write, you know, I write books to create conversations with the tribe that I can serve. And so that book was written for that. So so ignore the title. Just go grab a copy of it, download it, so you can see how I laid it out, see how I handled the author uh, information, see how I handled the cover. The cover is plain Jane, but it also fits into what other technology books look like. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it fits in the library of my target market. So that's the reason why I chose that particular uh, uh, design. It's plain Jane, but that's what they're used to seeing for that type of a book. Now, it, there, there is some design elements to it. And, you know, you've, <laughs> you got to make sure your spine is correct so that people can see it from you know, six feet away. That's part of the, the marketing that you do. Uh, yeah, feel free to download that. You can get it from um, msp2bsp.com, msptobsp.com. You can download it for free. And you might also want to go to that site for two reasons. One is um, I have – you're getting a, a PDF, but I, there's a video there that shows you how to upload that PDF into the Kindle application so people can easily read the book on their device. So we have to make this as seamless as possible. So you can take a look at that video and see how I, uh, I, I showed them how to do it. 
and um, I use a, a program called uh, ScreenFlow, which runs on the Mac, although Camtasia does the same thing, which allows me to record the screen of my phone and create these cool little videos. The second thing that you're going to want to take a look at is there is a book club guide that I created. It's a single sheet of paper that helps facilitate when there's a reading club. And I've sold hundreds, blocks of hundreds of books because I was able to supply that reading guide so organizations would uh, buy books for everybody, then they would meet once a week and they would talk about the book using uh, the information on that book club guide that I created. So you might want to download that, see the approach that I used, see how I'm marketing myself with that as a way to extend how my book brings me to prospective customers. Yes, Mark. I have to tell you that I did download your reading club uh, discussion questions, and I thought, what a great tool for those of us who say, oh, well, I would love to see my book, you know, in a book club. Well, how can you facilitate <laughs> that, right? And you have done that. You've given them a model now that they can follow for doing that very same thing. Make it easy for them to do, to do it and to use it, right? That's right. And give it away. And you know, give it away. You know, people say, Mark, are you nuts giving away PDFs of your book? Well, no. What's the book for? To get me clients, to start conversations. So people hire me for speaking engagements, or people hire me for training engagements. My book is the ultimate business card for people because it proves I have a point of view. It proves I have a voice. It proves I can organize my thoughts. That is wonderful. And so many entrepreneurs who are looking to publish as a way to increase their um, opportunities for new revenue streams, one of the things they need to keep in mind is it's not the book that is the revenue stream. It is what the book can do for you, how it leverages you. Exactly. So you are a beautiful example of that. And offering that book and the structure of it, quite frankly, for a lot of nonfiction books, the structure that you laid out in terms of having good subheadings so people can scan and not having these page long paragraphs, good grief. As an editor, I have seen so many horrors in a book. But one of those horrors is seeing a whole page of one paragraph. A reader will look at that and say, I don't have time to get through that. That's horrible. I can't spend all day in this. So if you don't break it up, you know, they're going to get exhausted just looking at it. If if you're writing Jane Austen-style novels where she would do (laughs) multi-page paragraphs, have at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not your average reader. No. It absolutely (laughs) is not. Oh, my goodness. So I've had to break up a lot of paragraphs in my day uh, with the millions of pages of prose that I have reviewed over the years. Oof. Good for you. Tell me. That's a blessing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is. I'm so grateful that I get to help people to really share their message with the world. I mean, that is 
ah, it is such a joy for me. And I appreciate being able to add value and make them feel like and look like a bestseller when they're finished with their very first book. And I feel like that's that's so important. Well, Tanya, that is the reason why somebody should engage with you if they want to bring a book to market that ends up being a legacy. Because there's a lot of difference between book shepherds who have a passion for the book and book shepherds who have a passion for the paycheck. Lots of difference. And those who have a, a passion for the book will make the book substantially better because of their wisdom and vision compared with somebody who's just doing rote editing. Massive difference. So I'm so glad that you do that because it makes you a valuable resource for somebody who wants to bring their book to market and make it a legacy. Thank you very much, Mark. I totally agree with you. That is all the time we have for today's Worthy Writer edition. Don't forget to visit the show notes for Mark's book gift that you can enjoy and use as an example. Visit writesomethingworthy.com and look for episode 11 for the show notes and links. In part two of our interview with Mark S.A. Smith, you will learn how he launched his first book years ago to fit in a number 10 envelope. And he still sold 7,000 more copies than most independent authors do today. You'll also hear Mark share about his current book and how he's leveraging it for business success. The, the book I'm working on, Wise Leadership Valor, um, the, the intention for this particular book is to position me as a leader of leaders. Because that's that I see as myself as my role after... 40 years of being in business, I have massive insights. I've got all the scars and bruises and liver damage that I've gained as a business owner for 30 years and working with companies, you know, Fortune 50 companies to, to startups. And, and I've learned what needs to be in place for a business leader to have a successful company that's sustainable and scalable and profitable and ultimately saleable as a business. So this book is really designed for me to launch my new direction of my business from that platform. And if you build a book with a business plan in mind, it can be the heart of your business plan. You've been listening to the Write Something Worthy podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or email us your feedback at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com and we'll catch you next Word Worthy Wednesday.